How many believe that today, that God, you deserve all the glory? How many believe that? Yeah, let's just take a moment and let's just do that. Let's just tell him with your mouth. You can tell him with your hands clapping. Tell him with your mouth, Lord, you deserve all the glory. Begin to thank him. Begin to praise him for everything, for his provision in your life for his wisdom in your life, for him rescuing you. Lord, we, we, we do. We give it all to you. You deserve all the glory. And we give you praise today, God. We honor your mighty name, who you are. We give you praise. And we say thank you. We say thank you to you, Jesus. In your mighty name, you deserve all the glory. And we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is so good to see you today. Welcome to Praise Assembly. Some of you are faces that we see all the time. There are new faces here. I have a challenge for you. You do not have to take it up. I have a challenge for you. If you're on this side, I challenge you during our greeting time to go to that side. If you're on this side, I challenge you to go to that side today. It could be chaos. I don't know, but we'll find out. Let's take some time and greet each other this morning. God bless you. That's right. You are welcome. And hey, a bunch of you took up that challenge. It was almost pandemonium in here. If you are our guest today, we have these Connect cards. You'll see them right in that seat pocket in front of you. If you could complete one, even now, if you took it out, grabbed a pen, completed it really quick. And when we dismiss today, when you're heading out there, uh, the people that are, are stationed at our guest services desk, they have a gift they want to give you. So if you could do that today, that would be a tremendous help to us, and we would greatly appreciate it. Um, as you notice on your seats... These are faith promise cards. You're going to hear more about those a little later. So if you have one near you, keep it nearby. You're going to hear a little bit more about it um, and, and later on in our service today. Uh, uh, excuse me, ushers, as you come, we want to receive this morning's tithe and offering. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the honor it is to worship you in giving. Lord, worship is not just raising our hands or just singing. Lord, worship comes in so many forms, and one of them is giving. And we worship you now. We, we say you are worthy of it all. We say that you are the most valuable one that we know. And we give this offering to you with a heart of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We're singing, hoping. 
your bulletin please take it out tonight is our big night it is a night we look forward to all year it's our missions banquet night beginning at 5 30 so make sure you get your stuff in the oven in time or get it cooked in time to be here 5 30 we're going to have a great time we look forward as always to sample your different foods from around the world um, and in, in conjunction with that, following our service, so when we're, amen, we're done, we're dismissed, we're going to be uh, pull, stacking chairs. Remember, guys, chairs, stacks of six. We're going to be stacking those, putting those against the wall, except for the ones in these two center sections. We're going to be setting up tables. And so if you can stay back and help, that would be that would be wonderful, actually. That would be uh, fantastic. Uh, hey, so we have uh, the, the banquet tonight. Uh, this Wednesday, our hot dog night, our, our Speed the Light hot dog sale night, the sign-up is right in the lobby. Put your name down. The best hot dogs you've ever had, homemade mac and cheese. I mean, it's comfort all around. So be there this, this uh, coming Wednesday night, but make sure you sign up so that we know to prepare and be ready for you. Women of Praise, you have your breakfast meeting this Saturday, the 9th, at, from 9 to 11 a.m. Ladies, make sure you come on out to so That's always a good event. And then Young Adults, March 8th at 7 p.m., Friday night, mini golf at Birdie's Links, okay? And so you want to be make, make sure you're at that 7 p.m. for the Young Adults. Kids Camp, we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't gone to Kids Camp in a couple years uh, since COVID. Uh, our numbers are really down, but we want to make sure that if you have a son or a daughter that has completed that will be completing first grade this year, all the way through really up, up to sixth grade. If they want to go to camp, we want to promote it this year. It is going to be an incredible time for camp. So please, please, please uh, keep those dates open, which are July 8th through 11th. It's a Monday through a Thursday. It's going to be a great time. Um, Daylight Savings begins next weekend. Move your clocks forward, even though all your clocks do it by themselves, except your stove clock maybe. And, uh, you know, most of your cars do anyways. So, but that's happening next week. And those are all the announcements for today. God bless you. Car doesn't do that. Man, I wish. But when you're going forward, it's not too bad, right? You just go one hour. When you have to go all the way back around, it takes forever. And as you know, maybe a lot of you don't know, I haven't talked about my clocks in a long time. Have I have... Um, 20-something wind-up clocks that chime and all that stuff. And about five years ago, I decided I'm only winding one. <laughs> it takes way too much time to wind a clock. Ridiculous. 
So I have one. That's all. The rest of them just sit there. So they're not. Well, you know what? Yeah, they tell the right time twice a day. So, okay. Anyways. Hey, listen, I'm really excited about this morning. And before we get into our, our speaker, my, me announcing, introducing our speaker this morning, I do want to talk about tonight's banquet. I've talked to some of you and found out that some of my favorite food will be here. Looking forward to that. And um, I'm doing some Italian. I'm bringing some Italian tonight. Uh, but it's not what I usually do. I know some of you have had my stuffed squid and my brajol, and I'm not doing that work today. It's too much work, so I'm going to keep it on the simple side. But um, yeah, make sure you're back here at 5.30 tonight. As soon as we get enough variety of foods, we're going to start. So, And I'll be giving you some more updates about world missions and our involvement as a church. Uh, right now, what I want to do, I want to begin our celebration of missions by sharing you the video update from our Assemblies of God World Missions Department. So let's go ahead and show that video, please. For over 100 years, Assemblies of God World Missions can testify to the faithfulness of God in calling sons and daughters from within local churches across our fellowship to be laborers in the harvest fields of our world. Though times change, our mission remains the same because of the spiritual lostness of humanity and their need for a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As the global mission arm of our fellowship, our unwavering commitment is to see the church established among all peoples everywhere. Today, we have over 2,640 global workers serving in 153 nations of our world. This presence and work have resulted in nearly 400,000 local churches being established to bring salvation to peoples and communities. On average, over the last decade, a new believer comes to Christ every 66 seconds, and a new church is planted every 30 minutes. In 2023, through frontline evangelism, our mission teams have seen hundreds of new believers come to Christ in the Middle East, North Africa, and Northern Asia. Numerous local churches have been planted in cities and communities in Europe and Latin America. Thousands of emerging church leaders trained and equipped in Africa. And through the agency of AGWM Global Workers, we were able to provide aid alongside our national partners in war-torn Ukraine and to the victims affected by the terrible earthquakes in Turkey and northern Syria. We have seen new believers baptized, professing faith in Christ among some of the most sensitive and resistant peoples. This is a testimony to the power of the gospel and to the commitment of the church to send laborers into the harvest fields of our world. And yet, thousands of distinct unreached peoples have little or no access to the gospel. We participate in His call to show every tribe and every tongue in our broken and hurting world the way to Christ as Savior, Redeemer, Healer, and as Reconciler. This year, our theme is sent. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. AGWM rejoices at the opportunity to be the sent ones as sons and daughters of our movement without regard to ethnicity, gender, or generation. AGWM has the honor to steward 
those sons and daughters as a global team to establish the church by reaching, planting, training, and serving. You see, our heart is for all peoples everywhere. AGWM shares continuity with Christ's mission and His church. To this end, let's work together this year. Let's commit ourselves to advance the work of the unfinished task. Amen. Over 400,000 churches worldwide. And just this past fall, the Assemblies of God national leadership from all around the world gathered in Europe and they set a goal by the year 2033, 2033, 2,000 years after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. On the 2000th anniversary, our goal is to have 1 million Assemblies of God churches around the globe. A million. That's just an audacious goal. And so we want to be praying for that. I also want to share with you this morning uh, a few highlights of our involvement in missions as a local church in last year, 2023. Final numbers aren't going to be available until the end of this month. And sadly, that's how it is every year. We have our missions convention usually the first Sunday in March, and then the final numbers come out of headquarters for our missions giving at the end of March. And we could move the date, but I like this time of year. It's a great time of year to gather like this. Uh, but um, can we have that slide um, with the numbers up there? Do we have a slide? There we go. If you can read it from there, we do know, we don't have the final numbers for our church, but we, we're very confident that we'll be in the top 100 missions-giving churches in America out of 12,790 churches. Yes, amen. Amen. That is something we are doing together. Uh, also, we found out this year that we were ranked number one in missions-giving through the Royal Ranger Ministry, number one out of the whole nation. Our Royal Ranger Outpost and Master's Toolbox... And then our youth, I mean, the last couple of years we slipped to second place, but this year we're back in first place in missions giving for Speed the Light. Amen, amen. To God be the glory. It's for his glory. We've got to get the word out. Our missionaries need these resources. So last week, as you know, I shared about our speaker for this morning, and before having him come this morning, I want to say just a few things. I, um, I have known Sam Johnson for 49 years. Yeah, you're old. 49 years. I've known him for 49 years. Now, he's only known me for about half that time. Um, that's pretty sad. I mean, but, but you know, I, I saw Sam from a distance. He was in a missions convention that I was attending as a new believer. He was a missionary to Portugal. I was a brand new Christian. I was only seven months old in the Lord. And as I shared with you the last week, he so turned me on to missions that my first church that my wife and I started from scratch, we planted a church, that church became a missions-giving church. My second church became a missions-giving church. And as you know, we are a missions-giving church. And so that, this is the man that's going to be sharing this morning. He's the one that turned me on to missions, reaching around the world right here, wherever we are in America. And uh, at the time, I had lost track of Sam. I, I remember, again, 49 years ago, and it was the month of March. It was Bethany Assembly of God in Springfield, Massachusetts. It was, they had their missions convention in March. I guess that's why I adopted it. I followed my pastor. But March is our missions month, and, and I tracked him down. And it wasn't easy, but I tracked him down. I came here in September of 1998. Well, it's, Sam, it's hard to keep track because you never know where you're going to be. And in fact, last year, without any exaggeration, it's 52 Sundays, 52 weekends in a year, he was most likely on the road or somewhere around the world 
probably 50 of those 52 weeks. And I understand he's going to cut back a little bit this year. But I was determined to track him down. I, I became your pastor in September of 1998, and I booked, I wanted to book him for my first missions convention here at Praise. And so that would have been March of 1999. And um, 25 years ago this month, 25 years ago this month. And soon after being here, he began a ministry of building Bible college facilities around the world in order to help train leaders in countries that we would consider to be developing nations. And in reflection, you know, that's been the greatest ministry of his life. I told you last week he was a missionary to Spain and to Portugal and uh, kind of took over the Heritage Church for PTL Club as they were collapsing and then Mission of Mercy in Calcutta, India. But then at the age, somewhere around the age of 60, he started a ministry that he named Priority One. Priority One. And reflecting on that history made me think of other entrepreneurs who really did some great things at the, near the, the later years in their life. Worldly pursuits, these are names you'll know, but creative and successful nonetheless. But like McDonald's fast food restaurants. Ray Kroc started that at age 51. He wasn't a young man, 51. Leo Goodwin started Geico. You've seen those ads, right, at age 50. Bernie Marcus started Home Depot at age 50. Bill Porter founded E-Trade at age 54. This one blew my mind. The founder of Red Bull, you know how old he was when he created that energy drink? 61 years old. I guess you need energy at 61 years old. So I guess he saw a need and filled it. Colonel Sanders, Har Harlan Sanders, started his restaurant chain at age 62. And the oldest that I could find was Grandma Moses. How many know Grandma Moses? She was an artist. She was a painter. Anna Mary Moses was her real name. She started her painting at age 78. 78 and is famous. I know our joy group, we stopped there once. And if you remember Esther Appenzell, remember all the, the these original paintings, and they all said, you weren't supposed to come within a foot or two of them. It said, do not touch. And Esther had to touch it. And the alarms went off, deafening, locked the place down until, yeah, so we, we let her stay there in the local jail. <laughs> but obviously, the people I've named, you know, they, they, they focused on worldly pursuits. And Sam has spent the better part of his life, and I say better because he's done more in these years than in the earlier years, but he spent the better part of his life with a single focus of training pastors and church leaders around the world. And to date, he has led to the construction of facilities in 55 nations around the world. And many times, multiple projects in the same nations. He doesn't do one here or one there. Spent a lot of time in Tanzania. And so our Swahili speakers would say, Asante Sana. And with that background, I want to introduce to you our guest and church leader, Sam Johnson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Delighted to be back with all of you this morning and to share this great day. Sorry I can't stay for the supper tonight. I don't know of anybody who enjoys food more than he does. <laughs> 
I have traveled with him many places. We are talking about it this morning. He has a favorite restaurant in Hanoi, Vietnam. I couldn't wait to get out of there, but he just kept going back and going back and going back. Come on, hey. And so I love your pastor for many reasons, but one of the reasons is he enjoys living. He's a man of uh, great tastes. So thank you for letting me come be with him and be with you and be with the family and be with our dear friends who've been, I was with, how many years ago were we together? A long time ago. So. So, so you have a great staff. Delighted to be here. I am. I'm. I'm thinking that in my next life, I'm going to get a bus, and I'm going to hire your song leader, and we're going to go across America and have great revival crusades. She is marvelous. You have the very best. Absolutely. <clears throat> with, her, with her sister on the piano. I enjoyed the music abundantly. I, Sunday after Sunday, I am in churches uh, that, that sing some, <clears throat> I don't know, it just, <laughs> and I'm so glad to be in a church that sings songs that rhyme and that have reason and have a message, and you don't have to take 45 minutes to get it all done. So thank you for letting me be a part of that great song service this morning. I don't know of anyone, ladies and gentlemen, apart from David Reaver, who's done more for North Vietnam and Vietnam than your pastor. We've enjoyed several trips there, and you as a church have backed him and his vision to help reach that, that nation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Only eternity will reveal the success of what you have accomplished in that great country. I'm going to share with you in a moment or two some late pictures of a Bible school that we helped to build within, uh, within sight of, uh, of the lake where, where our late Senator McLean was shot down. And uh, it's going full ball today. We're thankful for that and the advance of what God is doing today in Vietnam, where the Assemblies of God has been duly recognized now in that communist country as a viable church. And that's a great step forward. So we thank God for that. Thank you. Thank you for all that you have done in Vietnam and around the world. And I want to thank you today for, for the places that you have helped us. I'm going to show you a couple of those today. But I want to take you back to, uh, to a service that I had in Mankato, Minnesota. Uh, last year, I'd never been to Mankato before. It's a city, 50,000 people south of Minneapolis. And, uh, and um, uh, two services. It was, it was just, it was, it was delightful. It was delightful. And as a way of introduction to the people, I just, I mentioned to them that Joyce and I had been married 62 years. So as we were leaving the second service, there was a young man in the foyer who tapped me on the shoulder and he said, sir, excuse me, could you tell me the secret of your success in your marriage? And I quickly said, yes, sir. It's very simple. Just do what I tell you to do, and you'll have a great marriage the rest of your life. He said, what is it? I said, it's two words. Just simply this, two words, and it goes like this. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes it comes with different inflections, like yes, ma'am, but it's always yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Everybody in the audience this morning said, yes, sir. So, Joyce and I have enjoyed 62 years, 63 years of wonderful marriage. God's been very good to us, given to us three wonderful boys. But most of all, I was born in a godly home. 
I, I regret that today in our great country, so many young people do not have a father. They lost their father and they struggled to even find their mother. It's so important that God gave to me that incredible, that incredible home in which to be raised. My father was a district superintendent of the Assemblies of God, one of the founders, and then a pastor. And under his leadership, I found Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I can't tell you, sir, how many times I got saved because I was always getting saved, really, the truth. The evangelists would come, how many want to give your heart to Jesus? Raise your hand. I raised my hand. The missionary would say, how many want to give your heart to Jesus? Raise your hand. I helped every one of them. Everybody had one convert. I helped everyone. I don't know if it ever gotten written up in their in their newsletter, but I always encouraged everyone. I got found Jesus. But someplace along the line, it stuck, and I knew that I loved Jesus, and Jesus loved me. And as a boy, when the missionaries came, they challenged me, and God called me as a boy to be a missionary. I knew what God wanted me to do. In fact, when I met my wife on the second date, I said to her, now, babe, uh, Joyce, if, if this thing happens to go any further than it is right now, I just want you to know right at the top. God's called me to be a missionary. I didn't want to, I didn't know, I didn't want to. And so God has been so very good to us to allow us to know what he had called us to do and we've done it. And I thank the Lord for the privilege that I have one more time to come back and be with you. I told the people last Sunday in Indianapolis where I was preaching, I said, my mother lived to be 102. So that means I may be back, but, but one never knows. One never knows. So come with me, would you please, to the place that we celebrated just recently, Bethlehem. Jesus was born of a virgin. They laid him in the manger, and they came to worship Jesus. He returned with his father and mother, Joseph, who took Mary to be his wife, to Nazareth, where his father, a master carpenter, was building condominiums and apartment buildings and strip malls. And in that environment, Jesus Christ grew up. And he worked together with the family and with his father in, 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 in that kind of a, a, a setting and that kind of a surrounding. But at the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. So what did Jesus do? This is, this, is, this, is, this is the crux of all that I'm going to share with you today. What did Jesus do? Jesus, who had come to be the Savior of the world, who had come to redeem the world of all other sins, Jesus Christ called to himself 12 followers. Twelve disciples, we call them. They came from a variety of backgrounds, some more educated than others, but they accepted the challenge and they followed Jesus. And I like to think that he formed the first Bible school of the Assemblies of God. They had a three-year curriculum. They didn't have a campus, but wherever Jesus went, they went. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to fast. He taught them how to walk on water. Peter wasn't too good at that. He taught them how to feed the, feed, the, feed the thousands. But he taught them most of all that he'd come to be the savior of the world. They were hoping that he would become the next ruler of the world. For they lived in a world system at that time as vicious as ISIS is today. They were hoping that he would be the next ruler of the world. And no doubt they would be members of his cabinet. Peter was getting ready to be the secretary of defense. He could take 
take a sword, cut a man's ear off without even cutting. It was amazing. John the Baptist, no doubt, would be the Secretary of State. And these guys were all jockeying for positions. But Jesus did not come to be the ruler of the world. He came to be the Savior of the world. There's a big difference, ladies and gentlemen. And those disciples never fully understood. Those disciples, when Jesus needed them the most, betrayed him. And they slunk into the wilderness. And they said, we never heard of him. We never, we never, we never, we never. Jesus knew why he had come. And that's why he allowed his captors to take him. They planted a crown of thorns upon his brow. They beat him like a piece of beef. And they hung him on the cross between two thieves. But there in the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ said for you and me, it is finished. And I have good news for you this morning in Newark. I have good news for America on the East Coast and across this great country and around the world. Our sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. Not because of penance, not because of communion, not because of things we've done, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. They took him off the cross and they put him in a borrowed tomb. Peter could no longer handle the agony. Where did they put Jesus? And he went looking for Jesus. And he found Jesus sitting outside of the borrowed tomb. Their eyes fastened on each other. And Jesus said to Peter, go and tell the others, I'm alive. I can imagine Peter finding the other ten. He said, hey, I just talked with Jesus. They said, Peter, don't be stupid. Don't be ridiculous. We, they put him on a cross. It's all over. It's too late. They hung him. He died. No, 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 no. You don't understand. He arose like he told us that he would. And he is alive this morning. And he wants to talk to us. Come with me. And they went with Peter, and they met with Jesus. And Jesus said, now here's the final assignment of our three-year curriculum. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait until. I want you to tarry until God fills you with supernatural strength. Because the things that I have done, you will do, and greater things. So go. Because if you don't go, I can't go. And as he was talking... He was caught up from among them. He disappeared in the air. The angels came and they said, this same Jesus that you see leaving is coming back again. Praise God. And I have more good news for you. He's coming back, ladies and gentlemen, not only to be the savior of the world, but to, the, to be the ruler of the world. We're going to rule and re we're going to reign with him. Glory to God. And so on the way to Jerusalem, I find this fascinating. On the way to Jerusalem, these 11 disciples became evangelists because when they arrived in israel in jerusalem there were 120 of them you talk about church growth pastor that's phenomenal 120 out of a so they found themselves a second floor apartment that they could rent by the day they didn't know how long they were going to be there and so they gathered together took care of a little bit of a church business and then they began to wait and begin to pray and two days passed and three days passed, and four days passed, and five days, six days, seventh day. But on the tenth day, sitting as you are sitting this morning, the Holy Spirit swept across that room and impregnated every one of them with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. As an expression, they begin to speak in languages they had never learned before. And God did a supernatural thing on that, in that upper room experience. 
It was feast time in Jerusalem and people had gathered in from the surrounding area and they heard these people in that room making all this noise. And they said, who are these people? They don't speak our language. They never learned our language. And Peter heard all of this. Peter, the man who had failed Jesus and betrayed him three times. Peter, now transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, stood up and he began to preach. And you know Pentecostal preachers. He preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. I asked this morning before the service began, how long does the service go? They said it could go into one o'clock. I said, you are lucky here because I got a plane to catch. But Peter preached, Peter preached, Peter preached. And when he finished preaching, 3,000 gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And if you will come with me this morning, I'll put you in a couple of, no, three, four jumbo jets. First class, of course. And I'll fly you around the world and I'll show you today Two billion people who call Jesus Christ their Savior. How can that be possible? Because Jesus invested his life in the lives of 11 faithful men. This thing is not rocket science, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a mystery. You don't have to go to school to try to figure this all out. Just do as Jesus did. So as a boy, God called me to missions, and I learned in Bible college that Jesus Christ had died for the whole world, and the key to all of this was the establishment of the church. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that, ladies and gentlemen, by going and establishing training centers. And so... In 1966, after serving churches in Iowa and Kansas, Joyce and I said, it's time. It's time. It's time. And we went to the Division of Foreign Missions. You saw some of the great um, video from them this morning. Wonderful people, wonderful leaders. And we said, we believe that God has called us to be missionaries. And we, we, we don't know where you need somebody, but we have a feeling towards Europe. Oh! They said, that's wonderful. We need you in Spain. I said, really? They said, yes, Spain. I found it on the map. It's there. And I said, well, talk, me, talk to me about it. And they said, no, 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 no. You go home and read the book by Dr. Bob Evans. Every chapter in that book was a chapter on another country. And when I came to the chapter on Spain, it was entitled Giants in the Land. Because you couldn't do anything in Spain in 1966. There was no religious freedom. General Franco came to power. He was a dictator in 1966. We, this, is, this is 36 to 39. There was a civil war in Spain that claimed a million lives. And he became the dictator and clamped his total rule on that country. And there was only one religion, and it was not the Protestant religion. And in that environment, they wanted me to go where you couldn't do anything. You couldn't preach, you couldn't marry, you couldn't bury, you couldn't pass. There was no religious freedom, none at all. And the chapter of the book, the chapter of the book in Spain was entitled Giants of the Land. Said you can't do all of these things. So I went to God in prayer and I said, God, they're suggesting that I go to Spain. What's your, what are you saying? And he said, with me, all things are possible to him that believeth. I believe that. I said, God, if you will go with me to Spain. We'll do something special for you. And they, he said, it's a deal. So God and I made a deal. Joyce and I took our five-year-old, five-month-old son at that time. Chip had just been born. Put him in the back seat. You know, the, the car seats is a modern-day phenomenon. 
We just put a mattress back there. Away we went. He flopped around, banging his head. No, no, no helmets, just away. Across America, we said, we're going to go to Spain. We're going to go to Spain. We're going to go to Spain. Could you help us? Could you help us? And people supported us, and we went to Spain and had the privilege, ladies and gentlemen, in 1968 to establish the first Bible school that Spain ever had. How is that possible? I'll tell you why. As I'm traveling across America in 1965, somebody sent me the front page of the New York Times, that great bastion of conservatism, the New York Times. And this is what it said. General Frankel declares religious freedom. Wow, this is, this is incredible. Look at this. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we, there was not much, for, but it, it, and so we got started and we were able to find four students. We started a Bible school. And if you'll come with me today, ladies and gentlemen, to Spain, I'll show you hundreds and hundreds of places of Pentecostal worship. How is that possible? Possible only because of trained leadership. It does not happen any other way. So while I was there, I got the invitation to go to Portugal, the country alongside, and could I come and preach for them? I love to preach. So they invited me to come, and I went, and I preached, and they said, now here's the deal. We have the central church, 4,000 people, and we have 60 congregations that are tied up with this central church. And we have three full-time pastors. So I, so I, so I went. We, we'd start out in early Sunday morning, go here and here and here, Sunday afternoon, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I, I went back to Spain, and I said, this is crazy. They got 60 churches, one main church, and they only got three full-time guys. And God said, what they need is a Bible school. Oh, I said, that's a brilliant idea. Yes. So I went back and I talked to the National Brethren in Portugal, and I said, it seems to me that what you folks need is a Bible school. They said, you're absolutely correct, and we want you to come and build and direct it for us. Oh, I said, oh, I said, oh, I said, I said, I'll do it. So now we have three boys. Two were born in Spain. Must have been the water. And I, we, we, we came back to America, and that's when I met your pastor, crisscrossing this great country of ours, talking about Portugal, and we're going to build a Bible school in Portugal. Going to build a Bible school in Portugal. Because God had given to me, in the very beginning, the key verse that I want to share with you today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, there's one word there that's very important that I haven't mentioned, and that's the first word, now. If it's not now, it's not faith. Now faith is a substance of faith. Don't make it tomorrow. Don't make it down the road. It's right now. God has given to every one of us the gift of faith. You have faith. I have faith. And it's now. So take that gift of faith and do something with it. Because these are the three things that I have learned as I have ministered these last 60-some years. Number one, faith must always have a purpose. Faith must always have a purpose. I ask young people, I ask people today, what are you living for? What is your purpose? Oh, I want to buy a, a pickup. <laughs> I don't think you understand my question. What is the reason that you're living? Well, I want, to, I want to, no, 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 no. What is the purpose of your life? Faith must have a purpose. While I was helping to build a Bible school that I'll talk to you about in a moment in Tanzania, where your pastor has been with me on several occasions, the superintendent, general, general superintendent, Barnabas Mokambali, 
He said, Sam, the next time you come, could you do me a favor? Bring some pastors with you and preach a couple of general councils, district councils. And I said, I can do that. And he said, when they come, if you'd have each one of them bring $2,000. And we'll take that $2,000 and we'll buy a motorcycle for one of our presbyters. Because that helps us to travel among all the church planners. I said, I could do that. So, I, so we went, we went, your pastor went with me. And we took $2,000 a piece. And at the last end of the service, they rolled, they rolled the motorcycles in, came off the street, and they had them across the front. And these guys went crazy. They jumped, the presbyters jumped all over these motorcycles. I don't know that they'd ever been on a bike in their life. This is, this is a 150cc. This is a, this, what a thrill. And so after the big celebration that night of giving away the motorcycles, the next day I said to the general superintendent, Dr. Barnabas, I said, oh, I never asked you how many presbyters do you have? He said, I have 250. So each motorcycle, it costs $2,000, 2,000 times 250. I'm not very smart, but that's a half a million bucks. I said, wow. So how am I going to do this? How am I going to help you? So I began to, I began to chart the district councils with him, and I began to get my friends, and we went over, we went over, we went over, and we bought motorcycles. And one day I realized I could not keep up with his vision. And, and, and I had betrayed my own calling. And that was to build a Bible school. So I remember writing with him one day. I said, Dr. Barnabas, I have to confess to you that I have sinned. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I've gotten away from what God called me to do, and that's to build Bible schools. And thank God I did, because today he has a thousand presbyters, ladies and gentlemen. And he's bought for them. I don't know who helped him, but he's bought every one of them a motorcycle. But therein lies the key to what I'm talking about. Faith must always have a purpose. My purpose was not digging wells. My purpose was not starting a, 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 an orphanage. My purpose was to help build training centers so that pastors could be trained for the ministry. So faith must always have a purpose. Number two, faith always risked something. Shortly after we had moved to Portugal, in fact, four months later, there was a coup in our country, and the communists overthrew the government and took control. We'd bought 30 acres near the edge of the city of Lisbon. We were building a Bible school. It was the spring of 1975. And at midnight, there was a knock on my kitchen door. I opened the door, standing there in my, standing there. I've never been given to pajamas. So you can imagine. No, don't imagine. But I was, standing, I was standing there. I was standing there opening the door, and I faced the communist guerrilla with his rifle. I looked out in the Jeep. It was full, sitting in the driveway of soldiers. He said, are you Mr. Johnson? I said, I am. Even at midnight, I remembered. He said, I have a warrant for your arrest. Come with me. Went back and I told Joyce, somebody wants to see the Bible school. You never want to be too anxious about it. So I said, I, 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 so I went up there and I sat down in the converted cow barn with this military officer while the soldiers searched the property. We had 30 acres. They're looking for the, all the arms that I have hidden because I'm a counter-revolutionary. 
Look at this face. That's what they said about me. They said that on our property, we had two windmills. We did have the two windmills, but they said on the second windmill way up there, there was a red light. And when the American planes would fly over, we would signal to them with the red light and they would drop the arms and we are gathering all the arms and we're going to have a counter revolution. This is, this is, this is, that's what they said. And I said, so, so, so they're looking, they're looking for all the arms that I have hidden. But of course, of course we didn't, we, there were none. And one by one, as the sun began to come up, they, they came in and they said, Capitan, Capitan, nos no podemos encontrar nada. No, can't find anything because there was nothing. We never hid anything. But it, they let me go. And I went back home. And I'd like to tell you that it got better, but it didn't get, get better. It got worse. The intensity, ladies and gentlemen, of living under the communist rule at that time was unbelievable. And I remember the night after we'd put the boys to bed, Joyce and I sat down together in the living room. And we took each other's hands and we said, is it time for us to go back to the States? We've given it our best shot. Should we go back and call it quits? We don't know that we can survive in this environment. And we prayed and God said to us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be with you. And we decided in that moment that we were going to risk everything and stay there. Because, you see, faith always risks something. Today, ladies and gentlemen, in Portugal, the Assemblies of God is the number one Protestant denomination. Let me try it over on this side. Today in Portugal, the Assemblies of God is the number one. How is that possible? Possible because of trained leadership. So we went to Portugal. We went to Portugal, and this is what we found. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We bought 30 acres in the edge of the city of Lisbon. And for the next nine years, I never stopped building. I built classrooms, I built auditoriums, I built dining halls, they love to eat. I built 24 marriages and apartments. I built, I built, I built facilities for over 300 students. And now you see, now you see, ladies and gentlemen, the evidence of what we believe God for. That's the evidence of what we believe God for. The Bible school on the edge of the city of Lisbon, Portugal, that has trained literally thousands of men and women with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then I got a call, could you please come to Romania? I got a hold of your pastor. I said, would you please come with me to Romania? We went together to Romania, and this is what we found. This was after communism had fallen, obviously. We went to Romania, and we found this commie building. And you know, communists, they're not, they're not, they're not known for, and this is, this is, what a pile of junk. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was just, and you know, by the way, Mr. Putin, who is the man in Russia today, he's not a happy man. He's not a happy man. And I don't think you would be either if your name was Putin. <laughs> I mean, just say that fast three times, Putin, Putin. It's just not, he's not a happy man and he was not happy. They were not happy, but we took that, we took that and we transformed it because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the evidence, there's the evidence. And today in the country of, of Romania, there are 2,000 vibrant Portuguese, vibrant Pentecostal churches, possible only because of trained leadership. God gave us a lot of great opportunities. One of them was to go to Albania in the midst of a, of a, of a, of a country 
nearly 100% Muslim and built a phenomenal Bible school, Albania. Then on the other side of Moscow, we built a Bible school. And out of this Bible school in Russia, in Russia, you will see, ladies and gentlemen, a great facility. 300 church planters came out of that. I couldn't go to Russia today. They would put me in jail, put you in jail. But we were there in God's divine timing, and we were able to build that Bible school. And today, they helped to start over 300 churches alone out of that Bible school. The country of Georgia, I'm not talking about Atlanta this morning. I'm talking about the country that lies south of Russia, Georgia, where we were able to build a great Bible school school. And then take a look at this beautiful picture in the city of Kiev, Ukraine. That's the seminary that we helped to build in the late 90s. And today, ladies and gentlemen, where Putin is trying to destroy Ukraine and take it back for himself. That Bible school, I believe God has built a hedge around it. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. That Bible school has not been touched. It's still full of Bible school students are being trained and taught with the good news of Jesus Christ for his glory. So we thank God for the opportunities we had in Western Europe and Eastern Europe to build Bible schools after Bible schools after Bible schools. And then I got a call one day, could you please come to Africa? I said, yes. Do you have a country in mind? Because there's 54 countries, you gotta pick one before you get on the plane. So they said, please, please come and help us. So I'm, I'm living in Minneapolis at the time, Minneapolis, Minnesota, great city in the summertime. And, and I got a call from a man by the name of Barnabas. He called me. He said, my name is Barnabas. I had never met a Barnabas. I read about him in the Bible, but I'd never met a Barnabas. And he said, my name was Barnabas. He said, I want to talk to you. I said, come along. So he flew to Minneapolis, sat down with me at supper time. And for three hours, he never touched his food. He said, we are planting 10,000 new churches in Tanzania in 10 years. I said, Dr. Barnabas, how are you going to do all of that? He said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's how you and I are going to do it. <laughs> so I took, I took, I took, I took, I took the bait. I said, what do you, what do you have? On my? He said, come with me. So when I could, I went to Dodoma, Tanzania, and this is what I found. I found the dormitory that had begun to be built by a church in Alabama, ran out of money, and never got back. COVID hit nothing. And I said, devil, get out of my way. We're going to do something significant in this country with your help. Because Jesus Christ said, I'll build my church. Surely that includes Tanzania. And this is the evidence of what we believe God for. This, the, the Bible school building right there, the, 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 the dormitory, which was the first of many buildings. And then after that, we went over next door to the little chapel little chapel. It's about as big as, it's about as big as one of the sections of this church. Not even that big. So 300 students were in that chapel. They said, we need a new chapel. I said, no kidding. And so I, 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 and I can't explain to you this morning exactly what happened, but we went next door to the chapel and we started building. And now you see the 5,000 seat auditorium that God helped us to build at, in the capital city of Dodoma, Tanzania, which has become the head of the general council of the Assemblies of God for the entire country. I, 
I was there for the dedication, obviously, and I went up in the balcony, and I looked down, and I took a picture, and I, and I saw all the men, the pastors, sitting in white suits, 300 of them waiting for ordination. A glorious sight. I wanted to make sure that I had that picture because that's the evidence of what God has helped us to do. And today, ladies and gentlemen, today, they planted 10,000 new churches because they had 10,000 trained pastors. You can't plant a church without a pastor. You can't just put up a building, okay, now we, no, 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 no. You have to have somebody who's in that church who's pastoring these people. So God helped us to help them start 10,000 new churches. And on this particular campus, and we've helped them now with six Bible school buildings and campuses, we built not only the classroom and the chapel, but not only the chapel, rather, but classrooms, classrooms, for, for the students in that particular campus. And then the very last thing I did just before COVID, just before COVID, just before COVID, I, went, I was there. I was, I, in fact, I was there with 20 pastors just before COVID. As, as COVID was, I'm sleeping, it's four o'clock in the morning and my phone goes off. It dinged. It's under my pillow. I could hear it. And Joyce is dinging me, uh, texting me. It's a better way of saying it. She's dinged me a couple of times, but she was, she was texting me. And she said, she said, President Trump has just closed the border to America and nobody can come in because of COVID. I said, I got 20 pastors. They got to get home through Europe. We got to. And then she dinged me, texted me again, and she said, he's, he's, he's revised it. And he's saying, saying only, only to the Europeans, they can't come in. The Asians, they can't come in. And so you can come home because you're an American. So we got home. But just before we did this, I went with the pastors way in the other end of the property, and we held hands, and we said, God, help us. And there we believe God for a seminary building. For all of East Africa, at the master's and the Ph.D. level, and now you see the, you see the picture of what God helps us to do on that campus where today, ladies and gentlemen, the Assemblies of God have embarked upon a brand new plan, a brand new plan. After they planted 10,000 new churches, they took two years off, they prayed, they fasted. God, what would you have us do next? And God impressed upon them a plan to start 30,000 new churches in 13 years. I didn't even dare ask the, the superintendent, how are you going to do this? Because he came to me first. He said, here's what we need, Sam. I need you to help me build 72 church planting schools across our nation. Not only the Bible schools, but church planting schools where we can send somebody who will study for five months, go out from there and start a church. And we have helped him plant 72 church planting schools. And today I'm happy to tell you that they have already started 4,500 new churches. All for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because of trained leadership. Because of trained leadership. So you have come along with me on many of our journeys, and that's why I'm here today to thank you for what you have done to help us build and build and build, and we've done it together in Tanzania. We've helped in over 25 countries in Africa. One of those places is in West Africa. I love to talk about it, and I only have 60 seconds to mention it. Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso. The only place where I've ever been where the male student brings his wife and his children to Bible school. And they give each couple 
and family, a room, nine by 15. We have six Bible schools. We have, sorry, eight Bible schools and 6,000 students, wives and kids on these Bible schools because in Burkina Faso today, it's red hot with the good news of Jesus Christ. There are 8,000 Pentecostal Assembly of God churches, 2 million believers, all because of trained leadership. God's doing great things in Burkina Faso. And so I got a couple of pictures I want you to see. This is the number one campus, the biggest campus. I'll be there in a month. We'll have 5,000 in attendance for the big graduation. And we just finished building for them a seminary because they too have a thirst for higher education, beautiful facilities with dormitory to go along with it, Burkina Faso, Burkina Faso. Good news, our missionaries went there 102 years ago. And when I go there this time, sir, I'm gonna visit the graves of six missionaries who gave their lives to make it all possible because faith always risks something. Faith always risks something. So West Africa, East Africa, across the continent of Africa, God is doing great things, great things. And in addition to all of that, come with me, please, would you, for the next couple of moments to Nepal. I just want you to see this. Nepal is a country where, listen to me, 70 years ago, you could not find a believer because it was impossible to proselyte, impossible to, 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 to evangelize, impossible to have a church 70 years ago. But today in the country of Nepal, there are 1 million Pentecostal believers. How is this possible? Possible because of trained leadership. And this is a facility that we helped to build. Your pastor and this church built a, 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 an additional Bible school in that country of Nepal. And we just completed adding to this the girls' dormitory. And now you see a beautiful picture of the young lady standing out front. Wow, what a beautiful picture. Nepal, I wanted you to see that because you helped to make this all possible. I was sitting at lunch in Bangkok, Thailand. And I reached across the table, shook the hand of a man I'd never met before. It looked like he was maybe a, a bit older than myself. And I asked him, who are you? He said, I am Joel Hayes. I said, wow, that's wonderful. Never heard of you, Joel. Who are you and what you're doing? He said, I'm the first missionary in the Burma after they allowed us to return. I said, really? I said, tell me the story. He said, in 1960, Tom Trask's brother, Ray Trask, Tom Trask was for many years the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of America. Ray Trask went to Burma and he built a Bible school on the edge of this, of this city. And take a look at this. Myanmar, there you go. He built, he built this 100 bed room for boys, a dormitory. And I went there. They said, we need a new building. I said, no kidding. So I, I, I looked at that and immediately I had a meeting with the termites. I said, now here's the deal. I need your help. Hold hands, link arms and keep the building up until I can get back. And so, so they, they helped me. And, and I came to America. I said, we need to build a Bible school in Myanmar. Could you please help me? And people responded. And this is the evidence of what we worked for and the evidence of what we believe God for. This beautiful men's dormitory on that site after we destroyed that 
old building, and we built this beautiful boys' dormitory. So I said, see ya, bye-bye, it's too late, all over, done, next time. They said, no, 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 you can't leave yet. I said, what are you talking about? They said, come with me. So I went back in the trees where I'd never been before, and I found the girls' dormitory, much like the boys' dormitory, in bad shape. So I said, I knew that we needed to stay longer and do something, and I came to America. I shared with you, could you please help me? And you helped me, and we built the girls' dormitory. And there it is, a campus today for 500 students. And today in the country of Burma, today named Myanmar, there's one million Pentecostal believers. No, let me try this. I think this is the best side. One million. All for the glory of the Lord. And it all springs, it all springs out of leadership. Out of springs out of leadership. Springs out of leadership. I don't see a clock on the wall any place. What time is it? Did, did, let me ask you, do I have five more minutes? Do I hear seven? <laughs> I was at supper. I was at supper. And the lady sitting beside me is one of the great heroes of our fellowship. Her name is Hulda Buntain. Some of you know that name. She and her husband, Mark, went to Calcutta 70 years ago. Calcutta was a desperate city of 18 million people. Poverty that can't be mentioned. And from that point until today, they began to feed the hungry and they feed 10,000 every day. They established a hospital seven stories tall. They built 20 they built 200 secondary schools. They started 200 churches. And in the process of all of this, Mark Buntain, the great hero, the great fundraiser, had a massive heart attack and collapsed and died instantaneously. She was out of the country. She raced back for the funeral. And after the massive funeral, she went up into his office where she found on his desk the plans that have just been approved by the government by the city of, 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 to build a new church. And she said, I'll do it. Now, you have to understand that at that time, there were no women preachers in India. They were not allowed. They were not accepted. You couldn't be a woman preacher. But she said, I am one. And she took those plans and she said, I'm going to build this beautiful school, Bible school, the beautiful church here in the city of Calcutta. And she came to America. She shared her vision and her, band and her passion. And she went back to Calcutta and built a church for, for seven stories tall, seating several thousands of people. And God honored the faith of this great woman, Hulda Buntain. She's sitting beside me at supper and she reached over and she took me by the arm. And she said, Sam, you don't love me anymore. Oh, I said, Hulda, how can you say I don't love you? Of course I love you. Everybody loves you. We worship, we'd worship you if we could. We adore you. She said, no, 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 no. She said, you don't love me. I said, why do you say that? She said, because you've never been to Calcutta. Well, I said, you're right. I never had. Everybody else went to Calcutta. You know, Pastor, how it was. Everybody was following Mark, Calcutta, Calcutta, Calcutta. She said, yeah, but there's only one of you. And I said, my mother knows that. So I said, what do you have in mind? She said, I want you to come to Calcutta 
because I have started a Bible school in the basement of the church. I have 150 students down there on two levels, and I can't grow. I can't go up because the church is there. The church is here. I can't, and I need you to come and help me. And I said, I'll do it. So I went to Calcutta, and this is what I found. They took me to the edge of the city. They took me to the edge of the city of Calcutta, and they showed me this building on four and a half acres, a beautiful building. I said, wow, this is a perfect place for a Bible school. What is it? They said, it's a boy's home. I said, a boy's home. That's super. Wow, a boy's home. So how many boys do you have? <coughs> Excuse me. They said, 25. I said, that's terrible. 25 boys <coughs> in that big building? They said, I said, oh, you should use it for the Bible school. They said, no, 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 no. The donor will not allow that. I got close to the building and I looked and I saw the sign and I knew who the donor was. And I said, I know that donor. Let me go back to America and see what we can do. I returned to the United States. I made a phone call. And that afternoon, the donor said, you can have it lock, stock, and barrel for the Bible school. With one provisal, you got to build for us a boy's home. I said, I can do that. Much cheaper than I could build a Bible school. So I added the fourth floor to the building. Now, we got a beautiful Bible school. Men's dorm, women's dorm, classrooms, library. It's all there inside that gorgeous building on four and a half acres. I said, this is wonderful. They said, no, 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 no. You can't leave yet because we can't let the girls sleep in the same building with the boys. Well, I said, they'll get together sooner or later. I may be stupid, but I'm not. So I said, what do you need? They said, we need a women's dormitory. <coughs> a women's dormitory. I came to America. God blessed us as we worked hard, raised the money. And now you see the women's dormitory alongside of it. A million dollar building for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The finest Bible school that India has out of a, out of a country of 1.2 billion people. And... Thank you, my dear. You're sweet. God love you. you passed, your, your husband offered me some water before. And I rejected it. And I have apologized ever since. <laughs> and now walk with me between the, the, the administration building on the left and the girls' dorm on the right. And at the end, you'll see the boys' home for 40 boys. All for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because faith without substance, faith Faith is the evidence of things not seen, not seen. So God's helped us around the world, and you have been with me on many of those journeys. Now, after having dedicated that, I said goodbye to Hulda 10 years ago. I don't think I've seen her since. And two years ago, she begins to write to me. She said, are you still building Bible schools? Yes. She said, well, I've been in touch with Pastor Moses in East India. East India. Look at this map, and you'll see it way out there to the right. East India. He has 500 churches and no Bible school. 
Could you help him? So his name is Moses. I'd never met Marmus, never met Moses before, but now I'm meeting Bonus and Moses too. <laughs> what, what a, what a, so I wrote to Moses and I said, what do you have in mind? He wrote me back and well, we went back and forth. And two months later, Halda Buntain was gone. She died at the age of 97. With one wish, would you help me build a Bible school in East India? And I said, we will do that. And I want you to see this morning in closing the Bible school that God's helped us to build in East India. At the end, the administration building. The building to the right is the Haldabuntain Chapel and Dining Hall. And then the next picture is the building, is the big building that's just been dedicated, the women's dormitory. What I don't have for you this morning is the boys' dormitory almost finished. All of this on an acre of land because land was so expensive, couldn't buy more. And as they were dedicating the girls' dormitory just weeks ago, they had a groundbreaking service for the classroom building that would be the last of five buildings to be built for $220,000. Now listen to me, 220, you can't build Cheryl Sheeshed in this city for $220,000. $220,000, we can build a boys' dome, a, a, a classroom building for eight classrooms and a library. And as they broke ground, the next day, the man next door who has a residential school came over and talked to Pastor Moses. He said, we are in financial difficulties. I cannot continue to run the school. I just don't have the students. We built a beautiful building in 2021, a classroom building. And if you would consider, sir, not building your classroom building, but buying ours, we'll let you have it. We'll let you have it for $300,000. So take a look. That's the classroom building that we were going to build for $220,000. Instead of that building, we can get a building that will give us double the size for an additional $80,000. I said, wow, you wait until I tell Michael Petrucci about this. He will be so excited. He'll want to do something significant. And so that's where I end this morning. I end with the challenge we have to make a decision today to accept this offer, to buy this building for an additional $80,000, total $300,000. Here's the good news. The first building that I showed you is already committed. I have a wonderful friend who has a big dog food business in Memphis, Tennessee, and he has already given us the $220,000 for the classroom building. Now for $80,000, we can buy this building. We can buy it immediately. We're in business with the classroom building. We don't have to go through four, five, six months and monsoon rains to build it. We can have it all ready with the help of Praise Assembly. And so I share it with you this morning with one proviso, and that is that you will thank the Lord with me for all that we have done together, Amen. together. Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning for your blessings. On this church, the rich history of this church, 
and then the ministry of the Petruccis. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful, wonderful people who Sunday after Sunday, week after week, have striven to do one thing above everything else, and that's to tell their world about Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that they have given, and thank you for all that they are giving. And now number three in this entire state in giving for missions. This is unbelievable, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would help these people to fully understand their huge achievements and accomplishments. And my, what a blessing they have been to Priority One and to this missionary, and have helped us church building after building after building, Bible school buildings. And I pray that you will reward them all. Reward them, Lord Jesus Christ, and help them to walk out of here today and say with great satisfaction, we have done all things well. I pray your blessing upon this pastor and his wife. I pray your blessings upon this church. And I pray that, God, you will help us as we complete this Bible school in East India. For thy glory in thy name. Amen. Can I take my water? Water's all yours. I, I offered him a whole bottle of water. So that I never use water. We partnered with Priority One for over 20 years. And on average, we, we provide about $50,000 towards these projects. And uh, one of the things I appreciate, two things I appreciate about Sam is number one, that he's doing something, and this, this was God's vision in his heart 20-plus years ago, doing something that no one else is doing, no other missionary is doing this, and that is strictly building Bible colleges. And they're needed. I remember one time Kathy and I were in Nepal. We were in, in western Nepal. Nepal Ganj was a city, and we looked at two existing campuses. And one, one campus used to have over 100 students, and they were down to about eight. And it was in such bad shape, just horrible condition, they would not show us any rooms except for what they called their library. You could see the mold on the building, just horrible condition. And because it was in such bad shape, students didn't want to go there. And we wound up building a beautiful building. That picture is in our hallways with our, uh, with our missionary wall. And we built that entire building for about $125,000. Five stories, dorms, classrooms, kitchen, everything there, just gorgeous. And that enrollment picked up immediately. I mean, just like here in America, who wants to go to something that's all run down and beat up? And so, you know, to, for a Bible school to have a building totally paid for, no indebtedness because of Priority One and us, those, they can focus on their students. And their, the main purpose is to train leadership. And as, as Sam has shared with you, uh, I mean, the church has taken off in these different countries because of these Bible colleges. The other thing I want you to know is Sam may not be a New England Yankee. He's from North Dakota originally, but, you know, he knows how to stretch a dollar. And these buildings, as he said, $220,000, you don't get much for that today. Even a half million dollars, what does that do? But in these various settings in other countries, it goes a long way. And, and there's an urgency to build it now before prices go up. And so he's been very good managing these funds. So as I said, we've been partnering for at least 20 years, and I think on average we give 50000 a year. So I guess we've provided about a million dollars so far. And um, I don't know. I, I think I, sh I did share this last week. Sam is going to turn 85 
years old this year, in July. He'll be 85. And he just shared this opportunity for us to provide $80,000 to finish that building in India, East India. And what I'd like us to do, <clears throat> and we can work on this all year long, because it's his 85th birthday, I'd like to provide $85,000. And that's going to take all of us working on that. It's a challenge. It's more than we usually do. But, you know, I'd like to kick that off this morning right away. So ushers, hurry up. Get those offering bags. Um, seriously, yeah, ushers. I just want to take an offering to get a jump start on it. We're going to do two things that we close. One is to receive an offering that can be sent towards that project. Uh, the other thing, when that's all collected, uh, if the ushers would come back, we're going to do something that I have done about 50 times, 50 years, doing these faith promise giving cards. And I'll explain those in a moment as soon as this offering is received. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for what we've heard today. And, and Lord, I, I realize not everyone is, is excited about bricks and mortar and buildings, but Lord, the purpose... As Sam said, faith has to have a purpose, and you've given them that faith and that vision 20-plus years ago with a purpose to build training centers to raise up pastors all around the world. And Lord, I thank you that he's even done that in America. Lord, at Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota. Lord, you've, you've used him and Priority One in fixing up that campus and, and students flooding in there to be trained. But Lord, I thank you for this opportunity in India, Lord. I pray that, that it would be our project. And Lord, that, that, that you would provide through us, that you'd use us for your purpose. I pray your blessing now in this offering and in each giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, ushers, if you could, as soon as you get back, if you get ready again, we want to receive these faith promise cards. Okay, while you have that in your hands, there are pens in the seat back in front of you. We don't need your address or anything, just your name. And, and let me just explain quickly. I've done, this, you know, I've done this for the last 25 years, but just in case you're new and you're not familiar with what this is, this is not a pledge card. This isn't, no one's going to call you and say, hey, you didn't meet your pledge. This is a faith promise card, and it's been around at least 50 years because I was a new Christian when I first saw this. And simply what you want to do is, is, is what is God speaking to you that you believe he's going to provide through you for this year ahead, for the next 12 months in missions giving? And, and many times over the past, I've had people tell me how someone may have pledged, not pledged, I'm using that word again. It looks like a pledge card. But someone was believing God for, I remember one instance, $1,500. They, they didn't know where. And you know, within a month or so, that whole $1,500 had come in from some unexpected source. That's what a faith promise card is. What can God provide through me? And this is where you see miracles happen. That's, I'm so glad someone thought of this. It's, it's, it's a little bit confusing because we tend to think in ways of pledges. But what would God do through you? Not what you know you can do. What would God provide through you? And I know that's just a made-up number, but we're going to pray in a moment, and God can speak to your heart. And aim for that. And just see, when, when, that, when those funds come in, just pass them along as you promised. As, a, as you promised today, a faith promise. So let's pray, and then we'll fill these cards out, and the ushers will come back. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for the fact that you do want to use us. And, Lord, we know you do miracles. We know that you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides, and you can do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine or ask. 
That's what your word says in Ephesians chapter 2. And so, Lord, I pray, God, right now, just give us, give us a glimpse of what we should believe for. Lord, give us, give us wisdom. And, Lord, help us to just watch you provide through us in this year ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, take that, take the card. Just put your name down again. We just, just want to know what you're believing for. The right-hand side, you'll tear that off, put that amount there. The little piece you keep, the big piece our ushers will collect from you in a moment, and they're about ready. So if you just put your first, I don't care if you put your initials on there, but just your name and then what you believe God's going to provide this next year, break it down monthly. The ushers are already coming. We don't want, we've gone a little longer than normal today, so I want to be able to set you free, and I want to get him to his airplane so he doesn't miss it this afternoon as well. But I feel like we've been on a missions trip, amen? We've been around the world. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your provision, for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for Sam Johnson. I thank you for Joyce's patience with him, both when he's home and when he's abroad. I pray your blessing in her life, Lord. And I pray, God, you continue to use them for this divine purpose. Lord, I ask your blessing in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.